Good evening, and welcome to episode four of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. My name is Chris Moran, the Midlife Pilot, and uh, I'm excited you're here to join us uh, here for our fourth uh, live recording of our podcast. And joining me tonight, as per usual, is uh, podcast founder and private pilot, Nashville Antonian, Brian <laughs> Siskin. Welcome, sir. I've always thought it's funny when you say uh, from the greater Nashville region. I'm like, no, I'm actually just in in, in Nashville. But uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, how's it going, man? Uh, and welcome everybody that's joining the chat. Yeah, it's good to see everybody here tonight in the YouTube uh, comment section. It's going well. Haven't been flying much at all, and actually mm. none mm. since uh, I don't know two, three weeks, maybe. How about since you? You've been you've been certificated longer than I have, and this is my first sort of uh, my first winter. So do do you find it to be somewhat seasonal of an interest or a thing that you do, or is it something that you tend to stay with the same? I try to stay with it's not the season that's got me so much this time just as like life but I like winter flying truthfully uh it's a little uncomfortable at the hangar you know we have we're seasonal here in in West Virginia so I mean it's winters are cold and it's uh a little uncomfortable until you get going but I like the performance of these airplanes in the cold winter weather I mean it's uh kind of exciting so I try to stay with it but we do end up you know uh, the weather gets us down a little bit uh, through winter and spring. Summer and fall are great. Winter and yeah. spring get a little. Days are shorter. You know, it's just it's a little harder. It's getting to that time of year where it's, it's the day is about a half an hour long. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I was just I was just kind of curious, you know, because I want to you know I want to stay stay with it and um, you know stay current and all that. But uh, the, the windows of just weather and opportunities seem to get tighter and tighter. So we'll just. Stick it out. I got a few things scheduled coming up that I hope will work out, um, including my uh, flying to Chattanooga on Thanksgiving Day. Um, nice. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that if the weather holds up, which I don't know if it will or not. But uh, I always keep my expectations very low, right? It's it's like, I don't know, maybe it'll work out where I can. Um, and then once you even get past the weather gauntlet, then you're like, okay, what will be going on with the plane or any other number of things? But uh, but we can always hope. So I'm I'm excited about that as a possibility. And I've done a little bit of flying for sure. Um, you know, just trying to stay with it, man, you know, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah. And by the way, it looks like our chat inside our system here is not showing all the chat that's actually happening. Yep. I'm concerned so about that. To, we might have to just kind of audio pull as opposed to visual pull. I'm looking at them on YouTube here. There is there there are some YouTube issues tonight. So if you're watching live as we record this uh, Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. By the way, if you're listening and would like to check it out, you can do that on the Midlife Pilot uh, channel on YouTube. Um, there are some connectivity issues with YouTube tonight. So we apologize if some of the quality is uh, a little less than usual, and some of these weird things like chat uh, are apparently problematic. So we'll work yeah. through it. We can still see you, and we're ch we can chat with you here and directly in the YouTube space. We just can't bring up the cool little graphics like we have been. Yeah. And keep in mind, everyone, that this is just our lazy way of recording an audio podcast. We just thought, why not do it live and just throw a video into it so we can see each other? And then why not have some friends join us? So. Exactly. So tonight's topic, uh, I liked a lot when I saw it from you, um, demystifying the private pilot podcast. Boy, I mean, the private pilot, I uh, know, <laughs> check ride. We could demystify that all day long, too. But man, <laughs> There is just something about the check ride topic 
Um, it's almost like a magical, uh, <laughs> mythical thing that has so much lore around it and so many opinions and so many stories. It's really hard to know what to believe. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's almost like the more information you seek out, the more convoluted your your ideas get about what to expect. Um, and while those things do vary from uh, location to location, DPE to DPE, and experiences do vary, as we were talking about ours being a little bit different for sure, ultimately this, the, the, the things we want to, I think, touch on tonight are the, uh, yeah, the, what is built up in people's mind versus what is the reality and how uh, maybe we'll be able to offer some people that haven't been through their private pilot check ride yet. Maybe some, some means to sort of calm some nerves a little bit because right. it's not, I just recently went through it and then you've been through it, you know, in the last, whatever, a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was. And so we're pretty recent, uh, uh people that have made it through this gauntlet. And so I, I only feel it necessary to give back and, and try to, just you know, let people know what my observations are, and, and I want to hear yours, yours too, Chris. And and uh, one of the one of the things that in the pre-show before we were going live, we were <laughs> comparing check rides, and it looks like you flew for about twice as long, uh, or I flew about twice as long on my check ride than than you did. So that's how widely this this can vary. We all got the same certificate. Um, I flew for an hour and twenty minutes. You threw you flew for like eighteen minutes or whatever. Yeah, uh, well, more than that, but yes, <laughs> it was shorter. It was shorter than that for sure. Um, so here's what I'd like to say about check rides. I think I because I, I struggled a lot in the time leading up to it. Like it was mm. a big. I had built this thing up in my mind to being an almost insurmountable. Um, I will never be good enough to execute this kind of a of a thing. And I, I just had in my mind, and I don't know why, I mean, everything I had heard about the specific DPE that I was using had been pretty, really didn't line up with this kind of mindset that I had built around it. Mm-hmm. I kind of envisioned this idea that like this examiner's objective was to um was to cause me grief or uh, problem with the check ride like like it would almost success be a success if if he failed me you know what i mean i mean that's not again that's yeah. not what i'd heard but my kind of the way i'd build it up in my mind was that like um this wasn't this was just going to be one of these things where he's looking for a way to gotcha me you know mm-hmm. or like to, to not give me the certificate at the end of the ride and so that was a real stress point for me getting ready for it. And even in, even in, like the day of the flight, like getting in the plane with him, I remember I, I was so caught up about um, clearing turns. Like I just wanted to make sure that he <laughs> knew that I knew of them and that I was going to do them correctly. And like, we, I probably asked him five questions about clearing turns until he <laughs> finally said to me, as we were getting in the plane, don't, don't say another word about clearing turn and don't do one. I said, is this a trick? Are you setting me up? Right. Like, I knew this would happen. Yeah. I knew it. He's to get me. So this is not a trick. He said, I'll, I'll have you turn to headings on the way there before doing a maneuver where we have to do, do a clearing turn. And we're going to count those as clearing turns. We're going to look outside in those turns. And that's a clearing turn. Like, don't stress. He said, it's a Sunday afternoon. I do. I would just like to go fly. Can we just go for a flight? And that's exactly what happened from that moment forward. But he just knew, or could at least sense that I was having like a, uh, 
you know, like a meltdown about every all these details. And he's like, let's just go fly the plane and have a good time. So, yeah, anyway, it's, it turned out not to be that. And I think that's some of the things we can probably cover. It's like, and your mileage may vary, you know, the, everything with flying from your instructor, well, really anything you do in life that involves other people, there is a, there is a personality component to this, right? It's not, you're not in a vacuum, like, your experience will depend on the personality. I mean, there's, there is some leeway in that. So your experience may vary some, yep. but I think as a general consensus, as a general overview, I think DPEs are there as um, their allies. They're not enemies of the pilots, they're allies. Um, and they're also not looking to get you. I mean, they're looking to make sure that you're going to be able to operate an airplane safely and not kill yourself or your friends. Um, and, they can gauge that they've seen enough people come and go that they can yes. get a feel for that using the ACS as a framework. Um, it is black and white letters on white paper. It's black letters on white paper, but there's also some judgment involved in it as well. And um, so we'll get into some of that later too. Well, yeah. So I, I think that um, I too had a lot of um, things built up in my mind, a lot of particular anxieties, I definitely went down YouTube wormholes that maybe didn't help. Um, and then also, you know, I, I found at least in, in my experience in terms of the prep is uh, that there is a point of, I think, diminishing returns that I wasn't expecting or sort of a plateau or a point of saturation that I, I just wasn't expecting. There's a point where you just kind of know what you know. And there's definitely when you, when you hear people say, like, don't cram the night before, uh, that's valid. Um, don't, you know, if you, if you're conscientious enough through all, all of your training, then you're going to be fine with what you've got. And, and, you know, it is, you know, people, uh, always say, and it's true. I mean, you've got an open book there that you can look at for the oral portion and, you know, all that. So, I mean, and there's no shame in any of that. Um, even the most prepared people are going to have some things kind of uh, get away from them. I had, I had a couple things that I had to look up because uh, like you, even at the beginning of the check ride in the oral portion, I was feeling like maybe he's trying to pull me into to something here to kind of um, confuse me. And, and whenever he would kind of say something along the lines of like, are you sure about that? You know, as your answer, there were some, t this is, this actually kind of did throw me off. There were some times where I was saying the right answer and he was still saying like, are you sure about that? And I would say, oh, cause you, you, as soon as you hear that, you want to say, well, I mean, I, you want to leave the door open, right? Like, you, <laughs> right. so, uh, so there were a couple of moments like that, but just, but you know, in general, he's a human being just like you. He doesn't want to have a bad day. He doesn't want to see you melt down. Uh, you know, he knows that you've spent a ton of money and time. And I think a lot of it too is honestly, the conversation that I had with him prior to the check ride, even starting, I think was really important to set the tone, uh, because it was really clear that he understood why I was doing this. He understood my motivation to even be here in the first place. And he could tell that I was serious about it and wanted to do right by it because, uh, of just the, the reasons that I got into, to the whole pursuit in the first place. And I think that if you come from a place of sincerity and a particular kind of altruism and yeah. you, you're resonating that just from the moment you walk in the door, as opposed to being a shaky leaf, I'm just trying to get to the next thing. Cause I just, I don't know. I saw being a pilot in a catalog and I want to do that. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that they want to see. They want to see just people that are thoughtful, conscientious, prepared, 
you know, all of that. So, right. um, so I think there's a lot of, there's, I mean, God, we could talk about this for so long, but, um, but yeah, I'm like, was there anything for you, Chris, like in your, in, in the, the, the oral portion that was, uh, either unique or a curveball or something you didn't get from any of your, uh, worrying ahead of time? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that I, I've mentioned on here before that I had a problem with, uh, I had a problem with weather theory. Mm. That was something that I wish perhaps I had spent just a little bit more time. Disclo- disclaimer here. It's um, weather, like a lot of things in aviation, is changing. And by that, I just mean technology has changed, right, a bit. So, like, the days of necessarily, and I'm not, dismiss- I mean, I still, I spend a lot of time looking at weather, even for my little VFR flights that I'm doing looking a lot of charts, looking a lot of stuff, the days of necessarily uh, spending hours perusing weather for weather charts and knowing the symbology inside, you know, I mean, some of that has probably changed a little bit. And I think, I think my DP kind of was aware that I I did, I wasn't as up on maybe some of the symbology and stuff on some of the deeper cut weather charts, as it were, you Mm -hmm. know, some of the, some of the deep tracks uh, of weather charts. Um, threw me for loop and i actually learned a couple of things my check ride day uh stuff i i probably knew this is no fault of my instructor tyler in case he's watching or listening uh <laughs> i probably was taught about like some things that were in the legend of the vfr sectional like yeah um elevation like floors and ceilings of uh, military operation areas for instance so I kind of stumbled on where to find that information he asked me about a specific moa here in west virginia and like how do i know this floor and ceiling Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I, I don't know for sure. So I started kind of fumbling around. I was going to look, try to look it up in the uh, airport facility directory. And um, he's like, I don't know if you even need to reach for that book. It's, I think that information is a lot closer to your left hand. You know, I was like holding the chart. And he's, I think it's probably a lot closer to your left hand. And I said, is it really? He said, yeah, it's in the legend. Check this out. And flipped over. So we like went through the whole legend of the sectional. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was kind of one of those um he was very, he was kind of instructional in some of those moments too. So yeah. uh, again, I think that, um, I think they can also discern some of the things that maybe are more or less, not that I guess the floor and ceiling of an MOA would be important to know L- less mm-hmm. for me in some cases that I'm a hundred percent of the time on flight following when I'm going through these areas and can ask a question, somebody else can help me find that answer, you know, but sure. it's good to know. Uh, he was pretty helpful with that. Um, Hey, I wanted to ask you, I wonder, this is a good time to talk about maybe the preparation stuff, because like you mentioned earlier, going into yours, not only the conversation you had with your DPE about your, your kind of your personal uh, connections to aviation, the reason you got into it, but also the things that you can do in advance uh, to prepare the, just the boring stuff, the stuff that you have to have prepared uh, as a prerequisite to even take the oral portion of the exam or the flight portion, you know, there's a lot of, it's a bureaucratic uh, events here and there's a lot of red tape on things that have to happen. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about this stuff. Cause I think you and I, we haven't actually looked at each other's materials here, but I think we <laughs> probably followed a very similar uh, approach to getting things ready. And I'm talking about things like, you know, you've got to have, um, some of this will be a little harder if you rent a plane from a flight school versus if you have other access to it, but you need things like airplane logbooks, aircraft logbooks, engine logbooks, um, registration, uh, airworthiness certificates of aircraft. Like some of that stuff is easy if you own your own plane. I know there's a few people in the chat tonight. Uh, 
David Muscardelli's here. I know he's got a really nice uh, Dakota. Um, there's some other people in here I have their own plane, so they obviously have access to that material. If you rent at a school or at a club or something else, you have to do a little bit more, um, you know, asking around to get that stuff. Your DP will probably be able to help you acquire that and also help you mark the stuff that you need to have marked in there. But mm -hmm. so, like, that stuff is pretty easy to deal with. Like, um, I'll just talk about briefly. I got like logbooks from the Cessna that I was flying, and I, I spent a lot of time going through these, um, and marking pages that have like the most recent annual inspection, the recent transponder inspection, the pedostatic system, the ELT, when was the last time the ELT was checked? And then if there are like specific airworthiness directives, you know, the last time they were made, or if they were airworthiness directives that were one time, I had to go clear back in these logbooks. Like this is like, I have the original logbook from this Cessna from like 1964. And some of these tabs are on pages that were last written in. Uh, in like 1972, mm. you know, and went through and tabbed every AD and had every single. So when I came in and laid this stuff out for him, I, in addition to that, I had in my binder, which we'll get into the details of how we made our, our binders in a little bit. I had a whole, the first section was about the airplane, right? And so I had made an entire AD. I made this, like I didn't find this. I went through the FA database and made my own AD chart to show the DPE that I knew what ADs were required for this specific airplane. Um, I knew when they'd been complied with, and then I color-coded the actual Excel document that I printed to match the colors of the tabs that I put in the books. I mean, it was, mm. the ducks were in a row, and we didn't spend very much time having to look through this. Did you do similar things to that? Yeah, I mean, I've, it's funny, too, because I, I, in looking at yours, I think that there's some direct correlation between the amount of hyper-organization and the anxiety that you're feeling because it becomes this, it's, it's, a, it's a, like a manifestation of like, I need to, I need to do something. I need to, I need to feel like I have some control, uh, over this outcome or, or something. So I'm going to put stuff to paper and I'm going to organize it. So, yeah. Uh, and one of the things you brought up, I think, uh, is a great thing to, to talk about for, from my side, which is that you, you had, uh, show, you know, you showed your logbooks uh, with all the the tabs and, and all of that. So me being at a flight school and not owning the plane or have, you know, I basically kind of got access to those logbooks so that I could then parse the information that I need so that I can put all the books back. And like, I, I couldn't necessarily have those with me uh, for the check ride or just didn't seem necessary. But w this saved my ass. And here's how. Um, I pulled all the information and I made a page of the plane, uh, with all of the specifications of the plane. And then I have in a chart that I made, um, basically every single inspection that's required and when they were last done and, uh, what else, um, for, yeah, engineer frame propeller, what the current date is, the due date, everything. So it was all right there. And then what happened was, um, my brain went a little blank in the oral exam about when some of these inspections are, are, are due. Mm -hmm. And so I would have been, I would have been, uh, in a different place if I would have had, I mean, I could, have, I have my, I tabbed the far aim as well, but I felt like it made me feel like less of a jerk for forgetting some of the things, 
by going to my binder and being like, well, you know, for example, specifically with this plane, you can see that its transponder is due to be inspected on this day. So you're already able to parlay and kind of uh, change the dynamic of the conversation to be this kind of recitation of rote knowledge to practical application, which is really, in, in essence, all they want to be seeing. So I think it actually meant more to him because otherwise he probably wouldn't, it was like a way for me to show that I had already thought about all this stuff. Right. Um, you know, and I don't think that he, if I would have pulled it out of the far aim, that would have been, that would have felt more like tail between my legs. I'm sorry. I forgot, but I know where to look it up Right. versus being able to really demonstrate that I've, I've got it. Um, and so that, that kind of saved me from having to dip into the, the far aim. And then otherwise, you know, I'll say that I'm trying to think of like some highlights about my, my binder. Um, oh, here's a here's a great thing I did. Um, I can't really show it necessarily because it's got a password on it. But um, yeah, the front that. the front page of my binder is my IACRA FTN number and password in gigantic font. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. Uh, I also have a um, printed copy of the application in case the internet was down or whatever. I took all like my medical certificate my licenses, everything. I blew them all up. I've got all of my course materials. I even did some little things like all of my uh, f- wings, fast activity, uh-huh. you know, just like anything I could do to show extra concern and, and energy that I've expended towards uh, the cause of safety. Um, that was a really good thing to do. And then a couple other little details would be, um, you know, I went ahead and had all the airworthiness for the actual plane, the weight and balance. We were able to talk about the weight and balance of the actual plane. Um, Oh, I also have the the type certificate data sheet. So there was just a bunch of stuff. I had the whole whole POH. Um, And then one of the last things I had in here that I think really went well um, in the check ride was I said, and here are my personal minimums. And you can download this from wherever uh, on the internet. I think they have them at uh, the FAA or AOPA has one. Yeah. And, um, you know, just say like, I'm already, I've already got declared minimums and here's the threshold in which I already operate. So those were some of the things I think that, that set me up, uh, for success in, in the oral, there were definitely things that I forgot. So that's yep. So I made a, I made a weight and balance sheet, um, for, and I have one actually for each of the planes. I don't use them much anymore cause I've got four flight is pretty dialed in for me, uh, for the weight and balance calculations, but I made this dummy sheet, with some stuff that, you know, there's no numbers that I had printed that were already in bold. And then there's areas where I fill in things. And then there's some columns, like you do the tops, top few rows. And then there's a row called zero fuel weight, some totaling rows that happen on these rows. Anyway, it was just an easy way for me to demonstrate that I could do a weight and balance for the airplane. In fact, I had to do that in front of him. And then I was really obsessed with maneuvering speed. Uh, at this point in my training. So like I had the whole formula down for maneuvering speed and would calculate it, you know, down to the mile per hour for when the specific flight that we were going to take for the check ride. So that was a sheet that I kind of developed and made um, based on somebody's that I saw. Honestly, it might've been Josh Flowers, um, Aviation 101. I think he had a similar document that he shared in some video. Um, I did make a video. I saw David, we'll get to some comments here. I did make a video on the channel called what to bring to your private pilot check ride it was pretty thorough it was actually me making this binder and some other things like going through what was in it uh and it was about a 12 minute video you can search for it what to bring to your private pilot check ride on the channel and it had a lot of these things that we talked about uh but a little bit more in detail 
uh, to kind of go over some of the actual, just the checklist, you know, the check the boxes of the things that you need to have with you. So were you, you were probably more concerned about the flying part than the oral portion, correct? I, I was until I got into the oral. Now, in fairness, I think I had a pretty easy oral exam as well. Uh, mm. It was about, it was a half hour, I think. Mm. Um, but we hit the things we needed to, I think. Um, I did pretty well, I think, in that. I was definitely less concerned about it. I was I was really obsessed um, with the like the precision of the maneuvers. I think that was a mistake. I mean, it's good to be precise. I don't think you need to uh, obsess about it. Maybe quite like I did, but yeah, I was definitely less. I was definitely less freaked out about the oral. So what, one last thing I would like to say about the the oral portion that I, <laughs> I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I wasn't taking it seriously. I was taking it very seriously, and I was actually happy to have somebody comb through my brain and make sure that I was ready. You know, like please, you know, if I'm not ready, you just tell me, and it's fine. Like I, I really don't want to risk my life uh, any more than what's native risk. And um, but I will say, in in the check ride, uh, the oral portion, I realized. I, my my DPE, I was his 383rd check ride. And so he'd been doing this a minute and you could tell that he had a recipe uh, for just kind of what he did. And also I found out in our preliminary conversation that he had a degree in education and really anybody that's got a passion for education, they want to teach, they want to, they want to be instructive. They can't keep themselves from being instructive. It's just an instinct. And so I will say that in the, in the oral portion, I might have done some things to perhaps kill a little bit of time by kind of circling back with sort of probing questions about their history, you know, his history, you know? So when you were, you know, back in the day when you were, you know, flying this or doing that, did you find that this was, you know, and, and it, you can just, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then set a timer because then like he's going to talk for one to two minutes. There's only so many minutes he's going to want to be in there. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so I'm not saying Smart. this is a, this, you should not rely on this and you should be open to being ex- um, <laughs> examined. But, uh, but I will say that there were a couple of points where I was like, if anything, it was kind of like um, almost like stalling in a basketball game or something, you know, like playing a little four corners for a minute catching my breath, let the shot clock wind down, just like control the pace a little bit. So I, I'll put that out there. You know, uh, people like to talk and if they want to talk, let them. That's a good tip. That's a real <laughs> good tip. So my, my oral and practical uh, exams were not on the same day. All right. Uh, That's a huge deal. Not on purpose. Um mm-hmm. The oral actually was rescheduled a couple times, and on the second time that he came down, well, the first time he came down, but the this it was the second date. We had to postpone the flight portion because of weather conditions, and that happened, I think, twice more, uh, where he didn't actually come to me. So my DP that I used was not based at the field where I practiced, where I wanted to do my check ride. Um, so I brought him there rather than going to him because I didn't want, I was so worked up about the landings and the other stuff. I wanted to do them at the 
place that I knew how it looked and felt and where everything was. I was not interested in introducing anything else uh, into that. And so he came down to the oral. uh, Then we had to postpone the practical and he flew back to where he was from, uh, which wasn't a terribly long flight, like 30 minutes or something. But um, so I had two more occasions where I took the plane, got it ready, uh, went to the Clarksburg airport with anticipation of doing it, flew a few laps in the pattern and then didn't do it and flew the plane back and put it away. So that happened a handful of times. Um, what was that was, like sort of having to go back to your, your head about it because you, you built it up to all happen in that one day and then it didn't by the, by the last time I just assumed, I mean, by the last day of the practical, I just assumed it wasn't going to happen then either. I mean, that's kind of where I was getting to the point. I mean, I, mm-hmm. there was only so much I could do to stay. It was probably good for me, truthfully. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad it didn't happen the, the morning of the original one because uh, my my CFI went with me that morning in the plane. And we said, we're going to work on some uh, landings beforehand. And it was a disaster. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I couldn't fly anymore and thought, well. This is not good. And so then I went to, that's what I went into my check ride with, you know, so it was probably kind of a blessing to do. There was only so much I could do to stay what I would consider current or, uh, you know, overly prepped, like repeatedly going out to stay ready till finally, you know, a month later, three, whatever it was after my oral, it was like, you mm-hmm. know, let's just get this, let's just do this now. And, um, so we did, I have, a, I have a funny, um, I don't have a funny story. Uh, Can I ask a a housekeeping item? Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if I should, before we get into the second half here, uh, click a button that may try to start the stream again to... Oh, gosh, you're going to break the whole thing. The audio will be fine, but uh, just for this live recording portion, so we can get comments in here. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, We all know what's going to happen. It's going to explode. But let's do it. I'm clicking it to see if I can't get this to um, <laughs> see if I can't get this to connect. Because what I would be, really, yeah, what I'd nice. re- yeah, what I'd really like to do is have the um, have the comments flowing in here. Um, and I don't know if they will retroactively or not. Mm. In other words, I don't know if the comments that have already been made will flow into our screen so we can show them. All right, awesome. I think. I think we are connected. There we go. Hey, okay. Comments are now comments are now flowing. <laughs> this, uh, we don't all know it's going I'm to be quoted here. Let's do it. <laughs> that is the okay. Safety well, first. Uh, yep. So, sorry for everyone listening to this. Uh, that was a brief uh, housekeeping item for the folks who are here. Um, who are here live with us tonight. Okay. That'll if make you, it if way. You, if you did ask a question, because I see a couple of questions in there, just paste it again in there and then we'll pull it up on the screen. Yeah, um, and I, I wanted to say like about the, the, the flight portion also um, we have, I would like to talk in depth about that, you know, also, cause obviously that's really the thing. Um, I will say that um, uh, similarly, you being really hyper concerned about little things, the clearing turns and all that. Um, when I got into the plane with, with my DPE, um, I, <laughs> I think the plane probably had, I don't know, I want to say 13 gallons, 14 gallons of, of fuel. And it was just in that weird point of where it's like, 
don't really need it, but I don't know how long we're going for. I don't like, I'm not, I didn't, I planned a flight, but that's not the flight we're doing. So I don't know. And I mean, I'm not saying we're going to go 14 gallons away, but I just didn't even want to have margins or some expectation of 50% or whatever. So I um, opted to just call the fuel truck and have them come out and put fuel in and they were taking forever. And he got super irritated because <laughs> it was just taking long. Yeah. Um, um, but on the psyops tip, uh, this is the stuff I think I'm really good at here is the, the off, off the edge, uh, of the spectrum here, but on our way out, I heard him tell some other people in the building, the office or whatever, he was asking him, what do you want for lunch? I'll be back. Um, they were asking him what he wanted. He was saying, I want this. I want that. We're, we're going to get together. I want to have lunch with, with all of you. So I knew immediately that there was going to be some reasonable cap on this because we were going, we were kind of delayed and it was already pushing maybe lunchtime already. And he's already placing his lunch order for when he's getting back. So I was thinking just, you know, I'm not saying stall, but like, you know what? I think we're going to get some fuel here. Similar uh, tip. Yeah. S similar tip. It was, it ended up not being the guy that I did my check ride because this, this guy retired. The, the, the person I was going to use retired before, mm -hmm. between the time I was, training got my sugar he was an older guy much older guy um who's you know had to go to the bathroom more often so the trick with him was people would say bring him a coffee with you when you come like <laughs> stop and pick up a coffee and bring it with you when you go so he'll mm -hmm. drink the whole coffee so that by the time you get in the plane yes. have to pee, and then hopefully you'll come back earlier and you can cut that thing short too that was the trick with him didn't have Excellent. him but i didn't have to uh i didn't have to uh to do oh, that that trick. is great um well, and just real quick, I'll just recap my flying experience. I, we, I want to get to everybody's questions. I know you do too. Um, and I, I want to hear your story too, Chris, but uh, yep. I'll just go ahead and jump into mine. So basically what happened was uh, we flew. Uh, it was awesome. And then I passed. No, um, Good. people should know that perfection is impossible. People should know that the ACS is very important to be aware of, but not necessarily to meet every in such a specific way. And what I mean by that is, you just knowing the ACS, don't ever ask the DPE, you know, like what the tolerances are. If you already know what, what that is and you're actively adjusting as you go and you're verbalizing to him, uh, and hopefully everybody that hasn't done a check ride yet is already in the habit of verbalizing everything because it really makes the check ride better because he never wonders what you're thinking. Um, but the, the, the point of, uh, uh, sort of, I, I forgot to put my timer on immediately for my cross country. I, I was making all kinds of little mistakes, but I was catching them as quickly as possible, saying out loud that I did this or I forgot that and fixing it and not getting into a mental hole about it. Um, and real quick, I want to just kick back for a second. There were two philosophical things that I had in my head the whole time. One was, uh, you know, my, 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 I thought about like, what would my dad say if he, what would, what advice would he give me if he were still around about my check ride? And what I got uh, from the ether was um, this is not a test. This is an experience. And what that means to me is you get to go fly with this incredibly experienced person, learn all that you can learn. Think of it as just a, an incredibly valuable experience that you get to go along through and just be mindful of what you're supposed to do and, 
and be aware uh, so that when you do fall short here and there, you can pick it up and keep going. Uh, but think of it as just a, an experience and that change, that reframing of it really helped me because it wasn't about this, this examination dynamic that makes you fumble. Um, it was more like, Hey, I'm just here for the ride, you know, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to give you the best I got on today and, and for the right now. The other thing that my instructor told me that was really helpful that, um, uh, was key was, um, uh, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And what, but he was really specific about it in terms of your focus and your attention to detail. You're not going to be used to it's it, just staying that hyper aware for that long through so much sort of, uh, you know, kind of duress as things change, as right. your, uh, diversion comes and, you know, all the other things. So those are some founding precepts that really helped me, but real quick, just to get through my flight. I mean, I, I definitely botched the earliest part of the cross country, which was setting the timer, but I recovered. I got to my spot. I did all the things, uh, side note, no four flight allowed. Um, you know, uh, in my check ride, I was told to turn all, you know, in, turn, enable ownership off. No, no way to even look right. Uh, true analog experience. Um, and then I had to do the diversion, the same, uh, or I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's then after upon the diversion, I was allowed to then all of a sudden use four flight to just two finger it and say, Oh, we're going to go that way. And uh, we'll be there in 30 minutes and it'd be great. So the diversion, uh, ended up being fine. I wasn't able to track, uh, in real time where I was, but I was able to at least get the heading, you know, cause I'd been through all this kind of stuff about how to do that. I'd already known how to do that and prepared, but I was pleasantly surprised to be able to just sort of two finger that on four flight and yeah and not just sit there and do calculations so anyway got that did that um when we did the emergency procedures i definitely um feel like i wouldn't have made my spot necessarily um comfortably but it was it was fine um then he had me uh pretty quickly I, I he had me go to this airport i thought i didn't realize we were going to land and he said no i want you to land i'm like oh so i had to do a you know forward slip from god knows what altitude and you know slipped further <laughs> and and more deeply than i ever had before and got that <laughs> you know got down and it was kind of like i called the go around because i that's the number one the, the go around is the default right you know do that first if you have to he wants to see him anyway um so the the foreshadowing here though is that he got to see quite a few more um later on in the check ride at the most crucial point but anyway so then uh, the only other thing that surprised me i did all the maneuvers i guess you know pretty fine steep turns all that stuff i've been having a lot of problems uh leading up to the check ride i had terrible flights and then a week of bad weather and then my check flight check ride so i didn't f i was sort of in an effort kind of place but anyway got through the steep turns did all the things oh yeah here's my uh here's my yeah that's that's how it all went well, yeah, like for instance, look at my steep turns. Uh, for those who can't see it, you can see how much the wind was blowing. I'm all sort of on top of myself there. I mean, all kinds of goofy things going on. Um, then when we did the unusual attitudes, I just wanted to say uh, he had me do some things I'd never done before, which was to under the hood. He he made me actually pull my head, put my head all the way back, close my eyes, and then fly myself into confusion, which uh, was a whole you know, give me a climbing left turn. Now give me a you know descending right turn like he was giving me control but it was so helpful because i realized how confused you can get even when you're under control uh and not just somebody screwing things up for you and, and then releasing it to you and saying fix it so anyway that was interesting uh, trying to speed through this but basically at the end of it the wind was really really picking up um 
I uh, ended up having to, I'd never done a um, 10 degrees of flap landing, maybe. I don't, I'd done 20 and I'd done maybe flapless, but maybe not 10. Anyway, um, I had to do some landings in some very hairy conditions that I did not like. Um, and then it came all down to my short field landing at the last landing. And I had to do two go arounds because I wasn't going to hit the spot right. Um, and then the wind was just picking up and picking up. And then at the end of it, I, um, I was on my sort of third attempt at my short field landing and the wind was so crazy at that point. It was probably gusting 15 or I don't know, something crazy. And we were just all over the place and I was having to come in so hot to counter for the wind. I just decided, you know what, I'm going to float. I'm not going to hit it before. I'm definitely not going to hit the thousand yard markers before, but I am going to go past it. And, um, and we'll just, I'm going to put the onus on him. He's going to have to tell me that I failed, but I'm going to give us a safe, safe landing. And that's what I did. I definitely went past, uh, 200 feet, but I think he saw that I was aware of it. And he saw that I, I did the safest thing by keeping the speed up. I wasn't going to just slow us down to plop the plane down under bad conditions or, or whatever. So anyway, you know, all it comes down to like stuff's going to go haywire. You're going to forget things. Um, new things, new wrinkles will be done that are slightly different, just enough to throw you off. There's going to be so many things like that, but you just got to stay with it. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And think about all that you're learning uh, in that process. I learned so much in, in my check ride through the oral and the the flight. Yeah. Board. I was really grateful for it. Um, so uh, I passed, but I mean, I didn't know until we got all the way back to parking. My CFI was standing there kind of doing like the, you know, wait for me to <laughs> you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. And I was like, kind of like, I don't know. Cause he just hadn't said anything. No, nothing's a good thing, but he hadn't said, you know, whatever. It wasn't until I shut off the plane. Cause I was really focused. That's the other thing when you're taxing and you're parking the plane, do not screw it up at that point. Keep that focus all the way through until it is all the way fully shut down. And then some, and then it was when it was shut down, he just reached over and did the, like, you know, he didn't even say anything. He just shook my hand. You know, I still was sort of like, is he just apologizing to me for failing me? Or is this a handshake for, <laughs> you know? So anyway, so that's how it all went. But ultimately there's a lot more detail and all that. I know you, I want to hear your story. Yeah, but we can talk about it. We'll probably get into some of the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine was similar uh, in that I, well, I guess it really wasn't that similar. It was less than half the time. I think my check ride was 40, actually it's 50, less than 50 minutes. So between mm -hmm. 40 and 50 minutes, my DP, we had talked in advance a few times about, I'd ask questions about four flights specifically when, basically my question to him was in the practical portion of the test, how much or little can I use four flight? Mm-hmm. He said, you can use it for everything, have a, have a chart in the airplane, but you know, you can use it for everything. Um, I, and I'd asked him, I said, if you fail my four flight as a, as a, as a simulated failure, can I use my phone's four flight as a backup? He said, would you do, <laughs> would you do that in the real world? Yeah. I said, I said, yeah. And he said, well, you better bring your phone too. I mean, you know, I have it with you. He ended up not failing my four flight at all, but he, he, you know, this is one thing I like to tell people. We may even get some, I don't know if we'll get any in this chat tonight, but I, I got some pushback. I've talked about four flight a lot. And just generally speaking in some of the comments, there are some people I get some pushback on, like, it's, you don't really know what you're, I mean, yeah, it's not flying. Okay. These are the same people that say things like, um, uh, you know, or would have you believe we shouldn't be using modern medical devices, you know, to save lives because it's not how they did it in the old days. Mm. Get Get off me with that crap. 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I will, I will probably never own a current paper chart again. I mean, I'm just being honest. I don't think I will. Um, times change and, uh, it's for the betterment of safety and of flying. Well, my DP said it best. He said, I would rather have you spend a couple seconds figuring out your diversion on your iPad than have you get your head down in your chart for five minutes to get your plotter out and figure out what, I mean, that's, yeah. that's it's a safety of flight thing. I showed him how to do it in the oral exam. Yes. Um, I used four flight, um, from the very first lesson I had, I had instructors who embraced it. And so it was part of my training. I, I was using a device through my entire training. So I didn't get caught in ruts of, you know, using it improperly or not paying attention to what's going on. I just think, I think people that are stuck in that, I think people really need to reevaluate, um, the pushback that you get from technology. Anyway, that's yeah. the end of my soapbox about that. So I was able to use four flight for my whole check ride. Um, we left, we did some things. I made a couple of big mistakes. The maneuvers were okay. Like I wasn't super thrilled about my turns around the point. They were a little sloppy. And my, um, I think on my um, power off stall, I lost 20 feet more than I should have. I mean, it was pretty minor, like minor things that kind of I noticed a few things until after slow flight, he, he, you know, he had me going to various you know, headings and turning the airplane in various ways and slow flight and whatever. And then he said, okay, recover to 3,500 feet. Um, and we'll go do something else. So go ahead and recover from slow flight. So I push carb heat in, it's powerful, you know, and I'm like trying to get, I'm a couple hundred feet below. So I'm trying to like get back up and I'm watching my airspeed. I'm just kind of glancing at it. I'm like, why am I, why am I going 80? Why am I only going like 80 miles an hour and I can't climb and I can't go any faster than this. I'm, so I'm looking <laughs> casually, not like I'm just kind of, my eyeballs are darting around, you know, the pan. I'm looking at all the normal <laughs> things. I'm like, is that making good power? Like uh, RPMs, everything's, um, and then he, if, you, hear, if you could have read your, if you could have read your thought bubbles. Oh yeah. I'm sure he, right. he knew what was happening. Exactly. So he's <laughs> there, and I hear him go, I hear him go, <clears throat> It might it might help to clean the airplane up. And I look out, I've got 30 degrees of flaps like smashed down outside mm. the windows. I'm like, oh my God. And I, I said him by his name. I said, You uh don't write that down. I don't want to see you writing that down. And so he laughed and we had a chuckle about it, you know, mm. and flaps up and kept kind of kept going. So I think what he thought was the same thing I thought, which was like I probably wouldn't have made that mistake not in the check ride setting under the pressure of an exam. You know what I mean? It was was one of those things where he determined that's not a safety of flight situation. That's an exam situation. So that, you know, he let me go with that, but I tell people all the time, he could have failed me for that. I mean, that was, I couldn't clean the airplane up to, you know what I mean? Like Mm. could have been a failure. Um, So we went out and did our stuff and then we came back, did a couple landings. Um, I always joke, all three of my landings were exactly the same. Like I joke with you, I told you this before, Brian. I, yeah, like, yeah. My normal landing, short field and soft field landings were all the same because I used to argue with people all the time. I said, I don't want to use I don't want to use 40 degrees of flaps on this landing. And and he DP said, I don't care, I don't care what flaps you'll use on your short field. Get the thing on the ground and time that you can stop where you need to. I don't care what flaps settings you, you know what I mean? The point yeah. is if you can accomplish the objective, I don't care how your airplane's configured. So he was pretty leaning. I didn't miss my spot. I mean, I, I did hit my spots within the required um, distances. And, um, you know, like you say, 
I didn't do it on my check ride, but I did here recently after two years of being a private pilot, I did to my own airplane, uh, run my wingtip into a hangar taxiing. Uh, you talk about paying attention all the way to the, mm. till you shut the airplane off. Um, it is super easy to get complacent, um, when you're not flying anymore, you figure, well, I've landed this, the hard part's over, right? I just got to get back to the hangar. And I was screwing around on my iPad and, uh, talking to somebody on the radio casually another pilot friend that i have at the airport we're just having a casual conversation um and i'm looking at my ipad you know i'm drifting over towards the hangers where i I normally do so i could kick it around to get lined up to push it back in right so i'm not on the center line anymore i'm getting a little close you know but i'm like i'm veering left and i'm looking down my pad the next thing i know i felt and heard my left wingtip scraping along the front of the hangar beside ours and i thought I got away very fortunately. It was a it was a nav light and some paint on the you know on the fiberglass end of the Piper's wingtip. But you know you that could have been a human and the I mean you know it's, it yeah. could have went any number of ways. So you yeah. do have to pay attention um, the whole way to the end. But my experience, my practical experience was here's what I tell people to you. I think your point is spot on that it is an experience. And my, in fact, my whole outlook on flight training changed somewhere around the middle of my training when I quit looking at it as a race to get to 40 hours and to get to the check ride and started valuing every time that I got to get in the plane with Tyler and fly. Because mm-hmm. whether you're doing it as a private pilot or student flight, you're still flying an airplane. You're still one of so few people who get to do that. Uh, to me, when it started to become about the experience of the whole process, it changed my whole outlook on it. Um, it's not a race. Um, there are certainly factors you don't want to spend way more time and money than you need to, to get there, but it's not, the end game is not getting to the day you get your private certificate. Like it's the, the game is, it's a much longer uh, event than that. And your check ride is just the same. It, it's just another experience to fly with a new person and end up, we had a great time. Um, he called me out on the radio going home. He heard me call my local airport and like said, things to me on the radio which was super cool it's in my it's in the check ride video on the channel but um anyway it just turned out to be such a positive experience i can't wait to see him again um started my instrument training i'm gonna have him do my instrument check ride and once you get a relationship with somebody like that i don't know how i could possibly yeah you do anything different than that um so i can't wait to see him again and fly with him again and i hope i hope that he's proud of me or that he sees that i've improved you know since the last time he saw me fly and Mm -hmm. um anyway it it turned out to be i had built it up to this horribly scary overwhelming daunting experience and what it turned it out to be was one of the best days of my life probably yeah and uh man just you know don't kill yourself if you guys are getting ready for your rides don't just don't kill yourself uh mentally about it it's um it's a great experience. Um, it was good for me, but we've got a lot and of worse, questions about check rides too. And also like, what's the worst thing? The worst thing is like when I was coming back and I was thinking, man, it's the wind has picked up so much. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get these landings, you know, right. A short field or whatever. I just thought to myself, I'm just going to be happy. I'm going to, in my mind on the way back to the airport, I'm thinking I've clearly passed everything else. If I, if I botch this short field, then that's all I'm going to have to go back and do, and that's okay. I mean, and yep. so um, the worst case scenario is you, you go and you, you get what you missed and then you get an opportunity for an, an actual education in areas that you're actually possibly needing a little bit of brushing up on or whatever, which will make you safer. And then you've finished the, the damn thing. So 
I don't know. These like these people don't want to feel you, or they don't want to fail you. They want to see you live, and and uh, and enjoy it, and be an ambassador, and bring other people into the fold, and be charged up and thrilled about aviation. They don't want to see you, um, you know, winging it or having too much, you know, exhibiting pilot attitudes or whatever. So, uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, so we got ton, tons of comments. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's, right? let's get into some of these. We got a few people in here who are actually have their check ride scheduled, including student aviator. Uh, less than 30 days from now. I mm. uh, can't wait to get uh, their check ride over with. Um, one Doll Geek, who also has a YouTube channel, student pilot YouTuber, uh, said same with him. His is scheduled for December 8th, mm. which is all incredible. right. I mean, you know, a lot of people have intense lead times. I know that a student aviator uh, has had a long wait. I'd be interested to hear from people that have been ready for a while. And how, how do you sort of stay on it when you're because you don't have access to a DPE quickly? Uh, I was very lucky. I, I was basically like, I'm ready. And I booked it for two or three weeks out and, and was done. Um, yep. So I, I, I have a lot of empathy for those that feel like they're ready and then only have that much more time to chew themselves up in their own brains. Hopefully what we've talked about tonight though, will uh, some of that mitigate some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, uh, getting back to a couple of four flight comments or I, I we use four flight generically, you know, an electronic flight bag. I mean, four flight is kind of the become the, that's become the Kleenex of tissues, right? Like Xerox. Yeah. Yeah. Xerox of copy machines. Um, uh, I read to fly like you plan to fly, not like your grandparents flew. So do use the tools available, which uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, Joe Fitzpatrick said, uh, I'm 56. My DPE was in his 60s. He preferred for flight, but I had paper charts just in case. Um, that's a good point. David, uh, who I mentioned earlier, flew his Piper Dakota, I interviewed DPEs to verify that they would allow for flight for the check ride. You're hiring them. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything wrong with if you have options available in your area to reach out to um, to reach out to DPEs to get, you know, to ask the questions. You're allowed to ask questions about the process of your for flight, certainly. <laughs> how, right, like questions like, uh, how lenient are you with, uh, you know, steep turns? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, what, 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 what are you? What's your take on? Yeah, how, how they have. It's forty-five degrees, really. Forty-five degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, quick, Brian, fill time. Oh, oh. one dog geek. My CFI will not allow me to use four flight until after the check ride, which I'm not a fan of. Hmm. Interesting. I feel like the, I st so you, I know Chris. You said you used it from the from the get go. I I didn't use it until probably after a little bit. I think a little, a little bit after I, my first solo, because um, everything what, up to that I'll was there's no real purpose in me using it until like here. Can, here's what here the only the, here's the only thing I would say to that. Mm. Um, as long as it doesn't become this, there's as long as it doesn't become the only source you use for looking for traffic. I think the ADSB traffic is a, if for no other reason to have an iPad in the cockpit is to have ADSB traffic. If you don't have it in your panel already, I just, to me, uh, it's just one more layer of, um, 
safety and i know that it has caught traffic that i haven't seen for me uh, a handful of times including the infamous beckley flight which is on my channel of me flying mm. straight into beckley um and it would have been super close uh i never did see the plane uh that, that was in the pattern that wasn't talking on the radio it's an interesting story if you haven't seen it uh just search for beckley in my channel and you'll see that there but um joe fitzpatrick also says that uh, most of the videos I watched in preparation had pretty much the same flow as the real deal. There are a lot of check ride prep videos um, on YouTube, just in general uh, that you can find. And um, I think they are pretty beneficial in helping for anything you can do. I think to get familiar and to take some of the, you know, the foreignness away is probably helpful. Nathan said, my CFI went in for paperwork and endorsements at the beginning of the oral to make sure all was good. Then stepped out once the oral started. I paid right before the oral started. What's the price difference between you two? Talking about me and you, Brian. I'm trying mm. to remember what my check ride cost. Um, I feel like mine was like I paid, I think, 400 bucks plus his travel. I think he charged me like $75 or something to fly down. It was 500 bucks or less. I That's, think. yeah, mine was 500, but I know that they can be twice that. Yeah. So that's Nashville and Clarksburg, West Virginia. So there's two comparison points for. Uh, and I was able to Venmo it, which I was really thrilled about. I didn't even try. I took cash and we called it good. Brian, have you ever played poker? You sound like a <laughs> poker player getting reads on a punch with all of your uh, with all of your like psychological analysis of uh, your your uh, examiner and trying to talk him out of wasting uh, all your time in the oral. <laughs> That's a good point. I no, I've been, I'm not a poker guy. Um, I don't like any games that have unnecessary bravado. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I I could never enjoy playing pool because so much so much of playing pool is just like walking around, hemming and hawing at things, and kind of looking and you know just like all this this choreography that has nothing to do with the stinking game. Just play the game. <laughs> so uh, between poker and pool, I, I I'm I'm out. Yeah. Hey, we got trouble. Right here uh -oh. in River City. No, sorry, that was uh, <laughs> the pool I thought table. You were see, like my DPE's in the chat. Oh boy! No, oh god. He, I mean, he could be. Mm -hmm. um, How do you guys convince yourself that you were ready for the check ride? The flying portion, I'm trusting my CFI when he says I'm ready, but there's so much in the knowledge section that I'm overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Got any advice? How did you know? Well, uh, what was your deal? So I, I, th I think I really sympathize with this question. I understand exactly how this feels. If you think back to any other point in your training, it's the same thing. Um, when you were about to do your first solo, there's there's nothing, there's no reasonable part, part of the human brain that tells you, I'm fully ready to solo, because you don't even really know what that is going to feel like or is entailing. I mean, you know what you have to do, but it's and you pass a little written test or whatever to kind of qualify for it and then you go do it. But there's nothing like being in the plane at that moment for the first time by yourself. And how does that going to feel? And what are you going to be thinking? Um, the thing that gets you over the hump at that stage is the same thing that will get you over the hump at this stage, which is you're <laughs> imagine being a CFI at all and having these numb nuts come off the street with, you know, uh, okay, I've got 20 hours. I'm ready to go fly in an airplane by myself. I got to sign off on this guy. I'm right. only going to do that unless I really understand the implications and what's going on here. I'm not taking any chances with my 
you know, I, I don't want to have a lifetime of guilt shrouding me or whatever. So the same thing that'll get you past the solo is the same thing to get you past the check ride, which is it, you, like you said, uh, your CFI said you're ready, then, then you're ready. And you're going to be overwhelmed by what you don't know because you feel like you have to know everything, but guess what? You actually don't have to know everything. That's right. So, uh, and nobody's going to be rightfully expected to do that. Just, play the game, play the poker game. Um, and then, you know, uh, look up things when you need to and, and be aware and, and know the ACS, just know, know the ACS so that, you know, when you're beginning to deviate from the ACS so that you can say, I'm aware I'm fixing it. That's it. Yep. Uh, let's bust through a handful of these. Yeah. We're technically at time. Let's go a few more minutes so we can get through these. Uh, how many hours did you spend preparing for oral portion with your instructor? That's a good question. Uh, I was actually looking at my logbook. Oh, it's nowhere near me. Uh, today, I have a total in my logbook of logged ground school time of like four hours total, like to this day. Mm. We, we didn't spend a bunch of time uh doing that i did most of that on my own i had a friend there's a couple of videos on my channel kevin webb who you've seen and he actually has been in a couple of these episodes already or one of these episodes already he um he did a mock oral check ride with me uh which was really helpful we did a full-on like hour-long mock oral check ride which i think was helpful we did the practical too he flew with me um mm another cfi just to get another opinion and kind of look through things so that was pretty helpful but i didn't spend a bunch with my instructor did you on ground study i i did everything i could to not do that because it just seemed whenever we did have any kind of ground school and this is no slight to my instructor but it just it felt painful it felt like i was watching money burn because anything that he's talking about i it's just i already have access to this information uh, just suck it up. So yeah, I didn't do hardly any, I mean, there was a little bit, um, on the check ride side, which I know is like what he's, what he's asking. Um, but it really wasn't, it really wasn't that much at all. Yeah. We got a handful of price comparisons. I'm not going to put all these up, but, uh, 600 central Michigan, Florence, South Carolina, 600. And, uh, the pilot is flying to him 800 in Dallas, Fort Worth, 600 in Northern California, here locally, uh, Stinky Weasel says uh, eight fifty to use the DP as CFI uses here in our area. Uh, here is a good Joe. Sorry for hogging all the comments. I, I think we should close with this. I think Joe Fitzpatrick has the best, maybe some of the best advice of the show. Talking about what to do on here in your uh, on your practical, if you're able. Yeah. Try to talk to people who have used your particular DPE. It'll give you an idea of his or her style. They all follow the ACS, so make sure you're solid there. Make corrections if you bust a speed or altitude. True story. Uh, as long as it isn't a safety issue, being able to recognize and correct yourself goes a very long way with your DPE. It shows that you are the PIC and reflects real-life situations. We're not perfect. Just don't keep making the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. Sorry for hogging all the comments. LOL. <laughs> I love midlife's channel. It really did help me a lot following along with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm very glad that it did making it helped me, uh, through the process. And, uh, that's kind of the point, Brian, and I've talked about the point of this whole entire midlife pilot venture is to fill up a community of people and share common experiences and just, have a community of people with the same interests and help each other out along the process. And so um, I'm glad that it's helpful. It's nice to hear that when 
there's you know people who actually say that it was helpful for them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of this is a very isolating or isolated experience. A lot of people are out on their own with not a lot of camaraderie. I was one of those people I felt like where I just didn't. I just felt I felt like I was a bit on an island. So it's nice to have other people to sort of uh, sanity check yourself with. Um, For sure. And so that's, that's really great. And, uh, and to, to sum up that advice, uh, from, uh, Joe, I mean, that's a hundred percent fix your mistakes, be aware. And, uh, yes, get the gouge on your DPE. I did that and it helped massively. I found somebody that had taken very, very thorough notes right after their check ride when it was all fresh in their head and, it, you know, like I said, these guys, they do this over and over again. They don't want to reinvent the wheel every time they do it. They're trying to find efficiencies in it. I could tell by the way it was sequenced. He had done this in the, the way it was most efficient for him. So, yes, get the gouge. Very good point. All right, that's going to wrap it up. One quick housekeeping uh, note for everyone. The podcast is now on a bi-weekly recording schedule. So we'll be releasing episodes every two weeks now instead of weekly. So every two weeks, uh, every other week, Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern for the live recording, if you'd like to be part of that here in the audience and sharing uh, your feedback during the recording. Uh, so that will mean off next week for Thanksgiving, which actually worked out very nicely for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll be on an every other week uh, schedule on Wednesdays going there. And I think we've got a pretty good routine down now for getting the stuff published on Thursday. So new episodes should release every two Thursdays uh, on Spotify and Apple uh, iTunes store or Apple music store and uh, Google play and uh, Stitcher and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. And by the way, and you guys that are uh, getting these uh, check rides here in the first, second week of December, um, we want to hear what your final stages of preparation have been. Uh, the next time we come back here in a couple of weeks, you'll be just on the verge of it. Um, so you can come here and, and freak out all you need to. Uh, we've, we've been there. <laughs> for sure. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thank you for thanks, making buddy. the podcast. And we will talk to you all in two weeks. So long.